Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're talking about renewing relationships with the power of the gospel. We talked about that this morning just for review. God's a God of relationships. And tonight, we're going to do something, actually the next two nights, we're going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to take one scripture and kind of pull that apart, but then really jump into a bunch of other scriptures. I just want to feed our weary souls with a bunch of scripture. And we're going to do that. And the one scripture that I want to kind of pull apart over the next three nights is 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and a love abide. But the greatest of these is love. That's how we renew our relationships. Now, here's what I'm going to ask of you. We're going to start a little bit heady. Just work with me because you're going to have to get this concept first. And this concept will be enveloped over the next three days. But we got to really get this concept first of faith, hope, and love and how we use faith, hope, and love to renew our relationships. If you want a relationship with the Lord, if you want a relationship with others, it's the same thing we do to renew our relationships. There's this quote from John Stott that I found which talks about this verse. And here's what it says. Faith is directed towards God. Love towards others, both within the Christian fellowship and beyond it, and hope towards the future. In particular, the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly, faith rests on the past. Love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. Every Christian without exception is a believer a lover, and a hoper. Faith, hope, and love are the three sure evidences of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And to show that you're a believer, in other words, what Stott says is you're gonna be a person that has faith in the past, you have hope in the future, and you have love in the present. Now this is, here's where we're gonna, we're not gonna get too academic, but. Uh, I could run down the rabbit hole with this because I told you this morning and last night I was a philosophy major. God exists outside of time. And for whatever reason, he made time. He made the sun rotate the earth and the earth turn. And so here's what we have. We are now stuck in 24 hours, seven days a week. We are in time. We are stuck in time. Now, why would he do that? Why can't we exist outside of time as we live on this planet? And I'm convinced he puts us in time so that we can start to understand how relationships work. Because relationships work this way. If you have a relationship with anybody, you have a past, right? You have a history with that person. You have a future hope if you want a good relationship. You have a hope of what they could be and you have love in the present. That's how it works and that's what we want to kind of unravel. It's what we need to be able to have a relationship, to walk that tightrope of relationships in a broken world. Uh, Felipe Pettit, I should have shown the video but didn't have time to find one that I felt like was worthy of it, but Felipe Pettit in 1974 uh, snuck up to the top of the Twin Towers before 9-11 took him down. And he got a bow and he got an arrow and he shot across the Twin Towers of fishing line. 
and then he strung a rope and then a bigger rope and then a bigger rope and then a cable, highly illegal. He wasn't supposed to do it. They got up there in the middle of the night with all of their supplies. And then early that morning in 1974, Felipe Pettit, without anybody knowing at nine o'clock in the morning, stepped out. If you've been seen the trade towers before they fell, which I have, they're, they're so large. He stepped out on that tightrope and then took another step and another step and stayed up for, for hours going back and forth. He made eight passes back and forth on that tightrope. He sat on the tightrope. He danced on the tightrope. He knelt on the tightrope and thanked all the uh, people that were about to arrest him. He did, that. he did that whole thing. Now, how could he do that? Because he had one of those poles. You've seen every one of those men, when they cross the Grand Canyon or when they cross any kind of tightrope, they have a pole. What does the pole do? The pole helps you feel a greater tension between two opposing points, not a lesser tension, right? Nobody goes onto a tightrope like this. An ice skater does that to spin faster and faster and faster. When they want to slow down, they want to get their balance, they put their arms out. What that big pole does is it lets me feel a greater tension on one side and a balancing tension on the other side. And with those two tensions, you can walk that tightrope. Nobody does it without that big pole. It's what you need. You can't, here's the thesis, work with me just for a second, get this concept into your head. You can't love in the present, which is what we're gonna to get to in two nights from now. You cannot love in the present without having faith in the past and hope in the future. They're the two opposing poles that you need to have love. You gotta have a remembrance of relationships. And you got to have a hope for what they could be. And when you feel the weight of those two things, then you can walk that tightrope of love. And so that's what we're going to look at these next couple of days. Remembering faith of the past. Remembering is what renews relationships. Look, you know this. When you get together with your old buddies from college, when you get together with your old friends from an old state, when you get together at any point, what do you do? It, my wife makes fun of us. When I get together with my buddies from college, it's, it, if we make it 20 minutes without telling an old story, uh, then we've gone a long time. One of my favorites, oh, my first day ever with my wife, I was in the middle of a prank war with a guy named Sam Todd, who's now a tenured professor at Florida State. We all grow up eventually. And we were in this huge prank war. I won't tell you all the pranks, but he knew I was going to go on this date with Elizabeth, and he was a redneck from Georgia, so you know what he did? He went, and he bought probably five or six of those things that had crickets in them, those bait shop crickets. And then he got into my car right before the date, and he opened up the air handler. I didn't even know how to do this. He opened up the handler, and he dumped thousands of crickets into my air handler. So my wife and I are driving to Greenville from Greenwood. We're driving to Greenville, 45-minute drive, and on the first date, first date with her ever. And on the way up there, I hear a, and I'm like, my fan bell is going crazy. Do you hear that? I turned on the music because I was, you know, trying to play some music and, you know, get to know her. It was like James Taylor at the time. I was trying, you know, get us all in the mood, you know, this first date. And no, I, I didn't hear anything. Okay, I turned it back up. And I was like, what, what is that? Finally, it got hot, and I turned on the air conditioning. And when I turned on the air conditioning, it was a plague. Like a biblical plague. 
they started coming out of the air vents by the hundreds. And my now wife has a skirt on and they're jumping all up and she's screaming and I don't know what's happening. All I can think is God is like condemning us. What is, ha- what is happening right now? Maybe I shouldn't have ever asked her out. Look, when I'm with Sam, we tell that story in the first 10 minutes. Why? It reminds us we have a past. That's the way when you haven't seen somebody in a while, you renew that relationship. It's how you do it. We all do it. Uh, remember that time that, hey, remember when you, remember when we lived on that street and there's that place. Remember when? It's the way you, re, it's the natural way that we renew a relationship when we haven't seen somebody in a while is we tell the old stories. We do that with each other. We remind each other of the past. Now here's five points. We have to remember what God is asking, or what God has done for us, because God, here's the first point, God constantly tells us not to forget. There's, oh my word, there's so many, I need to write a book just on this point. There's so many verses in the Old and New Testament, remember this, remember this. Deuteronomy chapter eight, do not forget these things, do not forget them. Here's two out of hundreds, but let me just inject your soul with some scripture. Numbers chapter 15, speak to the Israelites and tell them to make fringes on the corner of their garments throughout the generations and to put a blue cord on the fringe of each corner. You have the fringe so that when you see it, you see that little fringe, you see it in the sunlight when you're walking through the old city, you see it when you're haggling over hummus, (laughs) you see it when you're in a fight with your wife, you see it at some point. When you see it, you'll remember the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow the lusts of your heart in your own eyes, not just what you see right here and now. Remember what I've called you to. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and you shall be holy to your God. And I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I'm the Lord your God. What does he do there at the end? He says, remember we have a past. I'm the one that got you out of slavery. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. We have a history here. It wasn't a prank. I'm the one that got you here today. Remember that when you're forgetful. Here's what he goes on to say, Psalm 106, another one which I love. Yet he saved them for his name's sake so that he might know his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left and they believed their words and they sang his praise. But soon they forgot his works, and they didn't wait for his counsel. They forgot. God constantly tells us not to to forget, but to remember. Look, here's what we do. Any Any national tragedy, any national tragedy, what's the heart cry? We will not forget. Right? And it's just natural. That's what comes out. Any tragedy, any time of trauma, we say, we will not forget you. We will not forget. But we're a world filled with forgetful people. We've got spiritual amnesia. And we forget the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. 
Look, all of, we think that we're gonna be remembered, but you know what's littered on college campuses all around this world? <laughs> Buildings with names on it. Somebody gave $10 million and we call it Tillman Hall, and now generations later, people are like, who was Tillman anyway? You remember your parents' names? You remember your grandparents' names? Let me push it. You remember your great-grandparents' names? Maybe a few of you can go a little bit further than that. Can you remember your great-great-grandparents' names? I'm not trying to make us all depressed. But life is a mist. Most of us are just going to go through life. It's a mist. The only thing we're called to do is glorify God because it's the only thing that matters because it happens like this. But here's God saying, look, I want you to remember all of these things. And the reason why we have so much, I think, uh, cultural dissonance right now is because we forgot to remember the past. We forgot to remember history, and we've completely lost the plot. What do you need to remember about God's goodness? What have you forgotten about God? His goodness, his grace, his mercy, his strength, his power, his forgiveness. What have you forgotten about God that you need to remember? And now, because we're working both, I know this is complicated, horizontally and vertically and horizontally at the same time, what have you forgotten about a relationship that needs to be renewed? What have you forgotten about that friend that you're distant from or estranged from? But if you think about it, how much they were faithful to you when you were down, or how much they cared for you when nobody else did. What do you need to remember about that, to renew that relationship? That's the first point. Here's the second point. God hasn't forgotten you. God tells us not to forget, but God doesn't forget you. At one of the um, highlights of my life, uh, I was at a place where everything was uh, phenomenal or at least it should have been. I, everything was going swimmingly. Except, here's the problem, I didn't feel close to the Lord at all and I couldn't figure out why. And every prayer went to the ceiling and bounced right back and every time I opened God's word, I, nothing happened. And finally, it was two o'clock in the morning. I remember this like it was yesterday. I went outside. I often have a hard time sleeping anyway. But I went outside and I said, God, I, I don't know where you are right now. And I don't recommend this, uh, but this is what happened. I said, well, I'm just gonna flip open my Bible and see what it comes to. <laughs> not exactly the wisest spiritual practice. Uh, they're not, you know, the Bible's not like a tarot card that you can just kind of do that with. But I decided to flip open my Bible and say, well, whatever happens, I'm just gonna read this. You know what it flipped open to? Psalm 139. And I read it. Oh Lord, you search me, you know me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. For not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me in before and behind. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I can't attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far sides of the sea, 
Your right hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. And I came to that moment where I had to realize, although God feels far from me now, he's never left me. He knows exactly where I am, and I don't have to reintroduce myself to him, and I don't have to sell myself to him, and I don't have to string together four or five days of good, quiet times to feel like he's there, and I don't have to somehow work my way back to him. He's right there, and he's right there all the time. He does not forget us. He never forgets you. You're his child. He made you in his image. He knows you. He loves you. He never forgets you. And as soon as you feel the spirit twins your heart, you don't have to work your way back to him. God never forgets you. And then God also tells us not to forget. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. This is the third point. God remembers to forget. Hebrews 8. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember, look at this, I will remember their sins no more. I'm actively, it's fascinating, isn't it? I'm actively going to remember not to remember that. It's an act of forgiveness. I'm actively deciding that I will not remember that anymore. Isaiah 43, 25. I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hey, that sin that you're still struggling with to forgive yourself from that you did in college, God's already forgotten it. That, that contract that you stole from your best friend in business and you've never told him, God's already decided to forget that, to cover that. Micah 7, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, and he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. God himself remembers to forget our sin. He remembers to forget. This is active, active forgiveness. I'm not going to tell you too much about this girl um, because she comes from a uh, extremely well-known family in Orlando. So some of you might actually know her. If I told you the name of her dad's company, I'm pretty sure at least some of you would know her. But for any number of reasons, she ended up uh, living with us for nine months. No way I'll get through this and not cry. And uh, the second month in, I was preaching. She'd already been living with us for two months, delightful girl. And uh, I was preaching, and I saw her just go hard. And I could just tell. I mean, I could see it happen right before my, while I'm preaching. And I was like, oof. And so I got home that night, and she finally got home a little bit late, like 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and I said, Let's just call her Beth. I'm not going to use her real name. I said, hey, Beth, do you want to talk about the sermon this morning? And she said, no, I do not. She was 23. She said, no, I do not. And I said, well, it's going to be a long seven months. I don't know how this is going to work. The next night, you know what she said? She said, I'm ready to talk now. I said, okay. So we sat in the living room. It was 11 o'clock at night. We had read in the service... Uh, a verse from Ephesians chapter 5 that this 
sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. It was just read in the liturgy. I didn't preach on that at all. And she said, I'm so mad. Does that mean, and she was struggling with a sin in the past, does that mean that Jesus doesn't love me? And I tried to preach the gospel to her for like an hour. I tried every preacher trick I knew, like everything, every illustration, everything. I just presented the gospel up and down and sideways and backwards on my head, and I sang it. I didn't sing it, but you get the point. I tried everything I could, and then finally, my wife. Sometimes it takes a woman's intuition to know a woman, right? And I, <laughs> and I, said, I stopped, and my wife said, you know what? She said, I need you to know this. There's not a thing you can do to make Jesus love you more. And there's not a thing you can do, Beth, to make him love you less. And tears. And we led her to the Lord that night. She became a believer. Once she realized God has remembered to forget my sin, this act of forgiveness, and look, this act of forgiveness is so needed to renew any relationship we have because we're gonna hurt each other. It doesn't matter what relationship you're in, we're going to hurt each other, so we have to learn how to forgive. At weddings, there's a number of things I say, but one of the things I say is this. Brides, look at your husbands. Husbands, look at your bride. I just need you to know, it all physically goes downhill from here. This is the prettiest you're ever gonna be. You're only gonna get uglier and fatter and hairier and hairs are gonna come out of the place. My wife comes at me sometimes with these like scissors to cut my eyebrows. I'm like, stop and stop. She's like, no, I love you. I've got to cut them. And you know, that all happens. You're at the peak, you know, the denouement of your life when you're at your wedding day. You're clean, you're dressed, you took showers, you're all ready. It's all downhill from there. But Romans uh, 5a, and then I tell them, and you know, the, the bride and the groom, they never laugh at that. <laughs> but the congregation always does. <laughs> always. And I tell them Romans 5.8. Here it is. God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you're still sinners, Christ died for you. Jesus doesn't love you at your best, he loves you at your worst. And then I typically say this: so here's the deal, bride and groom. How are you going to love them when they're not lovable? And how are you going to give him grace when he doesn't deserve grace? And how are you going to give him mercy when he doesn't deserve mercy? And how are you going to show her forgiveness when she hasn't even asked for it? How are you going to do it? Only if you've realized that God has given you mercy when you didn't deserve mercy. And God's given you love when you didn't deserve love. And God's given you grace when you didn't ask for it. And God's given you forgiveness. And out of that love and forgiveness and mercy that God gives you, then you have enough resources to freely give it to each other. Now, how does this practically help? Well, in our relationship with the Lord, it helps that we're not beating ourselves up. We're enjoying a Savior who has actively remembered to forget our sin. So we can come to him. We have to reintroduce ourselves to him. We can be with them tonight, this afternoon. But with others, it helps us because we don't have to hold a grudge anymore. You know what we do? We remember. We remember ways that we've been hurt. And we remember old arguments. And we remember things that they didn't do that they should have done. 
And we have a long-term memory for all of those. But I ask you, friends, how is your relationship going to ever be renewed if you don't learn to forgive? Now, this is the point of the sermon that I either have to quote C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, or Alexander Hamilton. So I'm going to go with the last one. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, if you've seen that play, and Elizabeth and I saw it in New York, there's a, there's a part of that play where it's very at the end, Alexander Hamilton has already had all of his affairs and uh, partly responsible for killing his son, at least his wife Eliza thinks so. You watch the play yourself. And now they're estranged in their relationship, and they're far apart. And as the story goes, you know, she's already burned all of the letters that he wrote to her. And he walks every night up and down New York, and his hair is growing white. And he sings this, look at where we are, look at where we started. I know I don't deserve you, Eliza, but hear me out, and that would be enough. If I could just spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now and you'd smile and that would be enough. He's asking the same thing many of us ask. Am I going to be enough? What can I do to make this right? I can't bring my son back from the dead. What could I possibly do at this moment where our relationship needs to be renewed, but we're estranged? How do we, how do we possibly get past this chasm, this cold war that we're in with a relationship. How do we possibly do this? And it's a phenomenal moment of the play because they're there and he says, and I, need, I know you need time, but I'm not afraid. I know who married. Just let me say and let me be here by your side and that would be enough. We're trying to do the unimaginable. And then, this is the point that gets me. At that very moment where he's wondering what he could possibly do to atone for it, to make amends for it, but there's nothing he could do. Eliza reaches out her hand and grabs his hand. Remember this morning, initiation? They've already identified, they bury their son together. He's already invaded with all the truths that he could come up with. She initiates and then all of the chorus, all of those New York City actors and actresses, the whole chorus is in the wings during that part of the play. And you know what they sing? They all sing this together. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. You know why they sing it? Because most of them can't imagine it. They've never experienced it. They've never felt it. When, when we've seen that play at that moment, I just go into like deep prayer mode and pray for all of those cast members that are singing a longing for the gospel that they don't even realize they're singing. Could you imagine what it would be like in the world where there is forgiveness and it's free? And where we remember that God doesn't hold our sins against us, but he forgives them. And out of that love, we learn to love each other. Could you imagine it? 
What do you have to do with forgiveness? You've got to let go of the right to hurt other people for hurting you. I don't know where that came from. It's not me. It's probably Keller. Uh, or Ray or uh, Joe Novenson or any number of other people, but it's not me. But forgiveness is letting go of the right to hurt you for you hurting me. And it's being willing to absorb the pain of whatever you've lost. And that's what exactly what Christ has done on the cross. And that's how he renews a relationship between you and God the Father. And in this cancel culture that we're in, which is really not a cancel culture, <laughs> that's what we've coined it, but it's really a purity culture. We're the pure ones and we're gonna burn off whoever doesn't agree with us because we're the pure ones. We're never gonna get out of this quagmire that we're in until we learn to forgive. Uh, the only hope for this country in the future, and I'm not going to get political here, so just chill out, don't worry. But the only hope is that Christians employ the tools that we have at our disposal because of the gospel of Christ to forgive and to love and to serve and to hold fast to the truth and also to let go of our rights because we want all people to be saved. That's the only hope we have. To be a people of God's word and to do the very things that the gospel itself gives us to do. To allow God to forgive you and to forgive others. The ones you agree with and the ones that you don't. Look, in this purity culture that we live in, you know Jesus didn't work that way. Real quick story, and then I'll just move past this. I know you had Jay Sklar here a couple years ago. He's a good friend of mine. He's a scholar in Leviticus. I don't think Jay taught me this, uh, but it, there are three categories in the Old Testament Levitical book. There's this people who are unclean, and then there's a people who are clean, and then there's a people who are holy, right? And the way Leviticus works is this. If somebody who's clean touches somebody who's holy, the holy thing becomes clean, if somebody who's clean touches something that's unclean, the clean person becomes unclean. And then they have to go through all of these steps to get back to being clean or to get back to being holy. And here's that middle category of the cleanliness is there so that the holy people will never touch the people that are unclean. The high priest will never touch the lepers. And so you got this middle category to buffer all of those things. And that's the whole system works down until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, the Holy One, the holiest of holies, walks over and touches the leper. And the Holy One doesn't become unclean, but the unclean becomes holy. That's why Leviticus 11.45 says, be holy as I am holy. That's what Jesus does with us. We unclean people, he makes us holy. He doesn't kick us out of the camp. He brings us to him. Now, two things I can do this quickly, and then we're done. Remember the sufficiency of the cross. Here's two things you need to remember. Number one, the sufficiency of the cross. Uh, Psalm 77. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all of your works and consider all of your mighty deeds. Look at what he says, Psalm 77. I'm at the end of my rope. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna renew this relationship? To this I will appeal. 
I will remember who you are. I'm going to tell the old stories. I'm going to remember, God, who you are, your kindness, your graciousness, your faithfulness to me, and I'll meditate on all of those things. John Newton says it this way. He says, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. But here's the problem. When you remember things, maybe you say to me tonight, Andy, my, my story, I don't, I don't have old stories about pranks. My story is filled with hardship. My story is filled with brokenness. My story is filled with things I don't want to remember. So what do I do? Well, last year, I, I don't uh, play golf as much as I talk about it, but last year I played around with a guy who's a, a business owner, very successful in our congregation, a young guy. I'm starting to get to know him. And he, I said, let's go to lunch. He said, I'd rather play golf. And I said, me too. So we went and played golf together. And I said, well, tell me, tell me your story. And he said, well, I, broke up, I grew up in a broken home. And, um, and my dad was killed. I said, I'm so sorry. But you said he was killed? He said, yeah, he was executed. I said, well, he was executed. And he said, yeah, they found him uh, with his hands tied behind his back in the middle of the desert in Mexico with a gunshot through the back of his skull because he was running drugs with the cartel and somebody killed him. And then my mom married somebody. My mom married a pastor. And the pastor for years abused me. And I said, you're a treasure of grace. Like how in the world are you walking this fairway with me? You are an absolute treasure of grace. And he, he's younger than I am. So he's like 25. And I remember he, he took my shoulder and he spun me around. And face to face, in the, we were walking face to face in the fairway. He spun me around and he said, Andy, God's been so good to me. And he's never left me. And he's been so good to me. Why would he leave me now? And I was so taken back because he has every right to be cynical, right? His mom remarries a pastor who abuses him. His dad is dead. I mean, he could be all bitter and cynical. His story is awful, but his story is one of redemption because he says, look, I know. I know that God is still good. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, and I'll remember his deeds. Here's the last point. Remember these stories that give confidence. The stories in the Bible, they are your stories. They're not just the Jewish stories, they're your stories that remind you and they give you confidence of who our God is. And the stories that you have with your family or you have with your friends, tell those stories. Our favorite thing to do right now as a family because we're all emotive because our daughter's going off to college is to show home videos and just to watch what it was like when the kid fell off the bike or watch what it was like on, and just to remember. And we laugh because remembering is doing that. You've got to tell the old stories and we've got to realize that these stories are our stories. And these stories that we read all throughout scripture give us confidence and show us who God is so that we can have the confidence to trust him. My daughter, Kate, she was our climber. And uh, she loved to 
jump off of things. And so she'd climb a tree and then she'd jump and I'd catch her. She, she always wanted to be on the diving board and she'd jump and I'd catch her. Uh, she would climb up to the top of the swing set and jump and I'd catch her. She'd go up to the stairs and she'd jump and I'd catch her. And here's the thing about Kate, every time, because I'm her dad, every time she jumped, I always caught her, every time, every time, except for once. When I was walking from our dining room here, and then we have wooden stairs and, then, and hardwood floors, and I was walking into our living room, all the lights were off. I'm not sure what I was doing, but I was doing some chore, and I was walking from this room past the wooden stairs into this room, and when I got about here, I heard a poof, and she was splayed out on the floor. And she was four or five stairs up. And you know what was amazing about that? She got a glimpse of me, just a glimpse of her dad, and she jumped. That's all she needed. Just a little glimpse, there's my dad. There I wasn't. That's how it works. That's not a great story to tell now in our family. We don't remind her of that story. But look, these stories give you confidence that anytime you see a glimpse of Jesus, you see a glimpse of what God's asking you to do, you can leap and your heavenly father is way better than Kate's earthly father because he always catches you and he never leaves you and he never forsakes you and he wants you to be alive to him. And remembering the past and remembering the sufficiency of Christ and remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God is what allows you to leap again. Because some of your relationships have gotten so stale because you're not doing one thing that's risky. You're just in cruise control Christianity. You found a lot of people that are doing the speed that you're doing and you just pull in the middle of that and set your cruise control between so this guy and this guy so you don't get, and you're just fine, right? You're just cruise control Christianity. But some of you tonight are being called to risk again, to leap again, to jump again by faith because you have confidence that God will forgive your sins, that his cross is sufficient and these stories are your stories that show us a God who know us and love us. Uh, I told you I'm gonna give you homework every night, so here's your homework. If you wanna work on this, and um, that's up to you, it's not up to me, right? Like I, I've done my work, now it's time for you to do your work if you wanna do it. But here's how you start. I'm gonna give you two things, a micro thing and a macro thing. Here's the micro thing. This changed my life, actually. I was getting to a point where I was just bitter and cynical, and a friend of mine said, hey, Andy, on every Sunday night, I want you to write five things that you're grateful for for the week before. And you just start remembering what God did the past week. What did God do this? Oh, I remember that great meal with that friend. Oh, I remember that wonderful storm. I remember that, uh, that conversation I had. And that remembering, that getting yourself used to working, that muscle of remembering will start not only looking for what will happen that next week, but it'll start creating that storyline. 
And then here's a more macro approach. I'll give you one vertically and horizontally. Remember just one way that God's been good or faithful to you. Find that story. When you're at a point where you thought nobody cared and God showed up, where you're at the lowest of lows and God showed up, or when it was just some way that he showed himself to be faithful. And then once you have that story, and I hope you have one, then tell somebody. Tell a kid or a grandkid. Tell a barista. Tell somebody who's changing your oil. A story how God's been faithful to you. And if you want to renew an earthly relationship, if you feel like you're distant with somebody in a horizontal way, think of a story about them and tell it to them. Hey, baby, remember, that, that would be my wife. <laughs> Not just anybody. <laughs> hey, baby, remember uh, when we lived in that cinder block house and we literally didn't know if we were gonna be able to replace that car and how God provided. Hey, babe, remember that time where I stayed at that Clemson game too long and you really wanted to go to that party and I got home two hours late and you forgave me and you hugged me? Hey, remember that time up in Maryland where I was at my wit's end and I cried myself to sleep and you quoted scripture. Hey, remember that time where we realized our uh, daughter was diagnosed with something that was gonna be difficult? Hey, friend, remember that time where uh, together we went to this hospital room and ministered? Hey, remember that time? Find an old story and renew your relationship. Remember, remember the faith of the past. In the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God that gives us stories. And you've set us in time. And if we have a relationship, we have a past history with that person. And so we have a relationship with you. We can even remember times where we felt distant from you and you called us back. We can remember sweet times of worship. We can remember ways that you met us that were unexpected. We can remember how you forgave us for the upteenth time for that sin. So we want to renew our relationship, at least tonight, by remembering. May we exercise that muscle a little bit, even tonight, by thinking back on some things that you've done this week? And could we, with a relationship, just one relationship that we wanna renew, a son, a daughter, a friend, a business partner, partner, a lover, could we remember and start to renew this relationship? Father, we thank you that you give us everything we need for life and godliness, and we're so uh, incredibly thankful that you don't hold our sins against us but hide them behind your back and you actively forgive. So may we as Christians live like Christians and may we give forgiveness freely and abundantly to anybody who crossed our paths because you've given it to us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.